Welcome to the Global Connection, a Tel Aviv University podcast. Journey with us as we discover how TAU's academic community and friends are engaging with and helping to shape this ever-changing world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Global Connection. I am your host, Dr. Anna Sujeki, and today I'm very excited to have with me in the studio Dr. Arjun Boonman, a scientific researcher at Tel Aviv University, where he's currently a member of the Bat Lab for Neuroecology, led by Professor Yossi Yovel. Um, from what I understand, Dr. Boonman originally completed his Bachelor's of Science in Biology from Utrecht University. He then went on to complete a PhD in biology at the University of Bristol, focusing on, uh, from my understanding again, bat signals and echolocation. Is that about right? Yep. Okay, great. And then uh, he has also worked with the French National Center for Scientific Research, uh, known as the CNRS, which is the largest agency, a science agency in Europe. Um, and I understand, too, you've been in Indonesia for a little bit working at a lab there before coming over here to Tel Aviv University. Yeah, that's right. Like Indonesia has a lot of bats. So that's what attracted me, obviously. All right. Indonesia and bats. Well, welcome. I'm very excited to be having a conversation with you today. Um, and you know what? I might even begin there. So tell me about, because I understand you're in Indonesia. You were working with bats there. That's where you met Professor Yossi Ovel. Yeah, that's and, right. And yeah. uh, that was kind of the trigger to get you here to Tel Aviv University. Yeah, because uh, like I did a jungle trek with him. And uh, yeah, then he said, I'm going to very likely I'm going to open a lab in Israel later on. Like he was in the process by then. And then if I succeed, would you like to join that lab? So I said, yes, obviously, like, uh, because we, of course, discussed a lot of topics in echolocation and sonar while we were recording all those tropical bats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, then um, we noticed we have very similar ideas, you know, about how the sonar, how it would work, how they would detect landscape insects and which theories we really didn't like that were around. So, okay. uh, so yeah, like it seemed a good team. And uh, yeah, that's why I joined later on. Okay. Um, I do have to ask, how does the Bat Lab for Neuroecology compare to being in the jungle in Indonesia? <laughs> you have much more relaxed to just sit, you know, to just sit and work right. without being completely stung to death. Right. It's just you, you wouldn't be, you, you couldn't believe it. You know, Not you cannot. Yeah, I had that with Yossi. We could not stop. Yeah, we would be walking, right? And then... You stop for, for, for 10 seconds. There's one bee, two bees, three. And then in the end, you're just full of bees. Your whole body is full of bees. Wow. Because you're sweating okay. and they want the salt. Okay. So they're just, but, you know, at some point you move and one of the bees gets stung. Somehow. I mean, gets, right. you know, like somewhere between your clothes. Right. And then you get stung and it's like, yeah, you're not in a good. Uh, no. So, so some you people. You have to keep on moving. It's just okay. these things. It's just, you don't think about it. Yeah. It's crazy. Some people are afraid of getting stung by a bee. I assume after getting stung that many times, you have no fear at all. Actually, I had. After that, I had a couple of, also in Thailand, that I had massive insects stinging. Okay. And I got very bad allergic responses. So now, actually, I am afraid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do wonder, before you became a biologist and you were thinking of going down that path, did you ever realize that your reality would be getting stung by so many insects in your career? Yeah. I mean, that's, 
Yeah, like not the worst no. thing. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still here. And the you're, worst thing is the fine. salary. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I do have to ask. Um, so from what I understand, you grew up in Holland. Yeah. That's, that's right. Um, and did you want to uh, go into biology from the time you were a kid? Um, well, like at a very young age, I wanted to be a train driver. Okay. You know, for a long time. Okay. And that switched. You know, actually, yeah, for, for yeah, that's at some point I became a bird watcher. And uh, so I was pretty good already as a kid, you know, especially with sounds. I really liked and I actually played around with recorders already then. Okay. I don't know, even actually when I was interested in trains, I also did that. Okay. So I put microphone between a uh, microphone between the rails and the train would go over it. Okay. You know, you do below the rails, the cable. Okay. And, okay. and record that. How, what does it sound like? I already did that. Okay. And then <clears throat> I tried to do that on birds. Okay. You know, even like with the long uh, elongation cable and whatever, tried to do that kind of things. And then one day, somebody came with a bat detector, uh, which was then like in the Netherlands. It, they were kind of ahead because... Um, you know, it's, I mean, bat detectors had been around, but uh, then they designed an atlas project. And in Holland, they're really fond of making atlases, meaning distribution maps of where insects are, bats are, or birds. You know, this is what they do in Holland. I don't know why, but it's a tradition. And then they thought, hey, these little bat detectors, if we just train hundreds of people to do this, to how to recognize different species... We can make an atlas project on this too. Okay. And then somebody can. So that's why there were all of a sudden there were more and more bat detectors in Holland and a group of spe enthusiasts. Many were ex bird watchers or still bird watchers, and so they would know the sounds of birds very well and have a hearing for that. And then um, you know, yeah, a friend came with him. Wow! And you heard these sounds for the first time because I knew that a bat would always fly circles, but mm. you know, and then. I would hear that, wow, and this is, with these sounds, it can see its environment. That's so, just so, because it sounded so simple, how can it perceive an environment with that? So that's really, like, I knew then, okay, I'm, I want to know, I want to be a researcher on, on this topic. Like, I, I knew how, it. And how know? old were you then? You were in Holland, um, so you went from train train sounds uh, 14, to bird sounds. I think 14, and then I knew, 14. like, I, I, yeah. You were already working on bat sounds at 14. That's yeah. incredible. Okay, and and for the, the listeners, that is part of the work that you do today. You, you focus a lot on acoustics in yeah. relation to bats and the type of information we can glean by listening to them and uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit more like how how um how has that evolved then the type of bat sounds you were recording listening to in holland versus sort of what you're what you're listening in on today yeah uh, uh well like <clears throat> when i was in the netherlands uh, at some point they were um, yeah, people abroad saw it like, oh, wow, what is this? Can you actually do this? You know, and many people didn't believe that this would work, that you can turn with this stupid little, because it's it's like a little radio. It was not a very good bat detector. You would hear a product of the sound, not the, the original sound. And then, um, yeah, there was a lot of disbelief. And then they organized an international workshop and they invited me. I was like, you know, very young and uh, like a kid. 
and the others were all serious professors from all over Europe. So it was a bit, but I was very proud, of course, that they, that I was one of the leaders. Right. So I got to lead an international group and then we showed them, you know, like <clears throat> how, that you can actually detect colonies. You, you can find colonies of bats. So you see them coming out. Right. And I tell them it's this and this species. And they were like, yeah, sure. You know, I hear dick, 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 dick. You know, how can that? And then you you run in the opposite uh, direction. Like, you see, they're coming out of this tree. Okay. And then, OK, well, let's put a, a net. Right. So they catch the bats. They actually catch the And they say, yeah, it is. Myotis Dalbentoni, as the guy said. Wow. And they were really because we saw what they were writing about it in their you know, their local journals or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, like, wow, this is, you can actually do this. You can actually, th th it was a revelation. And then it started all over Europe. Okay. And so that was like a first step. Yeah. And then okay. after that, yeah, I just yeah, completed my, you know, the bachelor degree. In, but yeah, just to, okay. and then I went to the UK where there was a, a bat lab, a real bat lab, uh, where they officially worked on echolocation. Okay. That was the first step too. And and um, and you're working in the bat lab uh, here now. So when you think back to those days in Holland, and it sounds like it was almost sort of the initial stage in terms of sound becoming a really prominent way for studying bats, for mapping bats. Um, and then you look at even the global knowledge that we have about bats today um, in relation to sound. Do you see it as a completely different landscape the amount of knowledge we have actually in my perception to be honest i just think wow it's how like that the progress wasn't so much in my perception right how slow things actually okay. progress Th this is a strange answer maybe but no no that's like okay there's so many theories and uh, but how it actually works whether they can actually see because that's my main interest can they see like if a bat was were flying in this room what would it actually see? Would it see all the slits between the, you know, the planks on the wall? And like, how detailed is the picture? Like, that's what you want to know. And we still don't know. It's still the same. You know, it like it okay. looks like there's so little progress. It, I know there's, there's been many, many publications. So we, it's unfair maybe to say, but in my, you're asking, what is your perception? Right. That it's so slow as if like nothing really changed so know? i i feel like maybe that tells me you're a bit of an ambitious person and you have a vision for where ultimately you'd like the research to go and the type of understanding we have about bats um so if if we had a perfect world with the perfect technology and the exact right hypothesis and experiment um for you, what what is a big research question when it comes to bats? Well, what I just said, to? right? The, these things, how detailed is the environment? And uh, like sonar is a sound. It's a poor medium, in fact, because the information transmission is very low. If you compare it to vision, you mm -hmm. have two eyes and there's, you know, so there are so many cells, you know, that re light receivers on your retina. So the, it's a two-dimensional information source, you know, coming back to light rays. And there's so many sensors, like uh, as if there's like two cameras with, you know, all the, with the, with all the sensors on it. So that's very rich. So it's easy to see how your image can be so rich and detailed. But with sound, it's a one-dimensional information. You know, you have two ears, but for each ear, there's just one 
It's just uh, the you know um, the, the the wave file. It's just one sensor basically. There's one membrane that's gonna vibrate in the ear, and that's it. That's one sensor. It's a lot of frequencies in it, but uh, so it's much poorer. Okay. Much poorer actually. Okay. So it's actually very hard. So what can the maximum information content be? Can you really derive things from the environment and so on? It's um, yeah, of course, it's for engineers, for both engineers and biologists. It's, uh, but I have to say, sometimes engineers are very surprised what bats can do when they see, like, okay, there is a vegetation in the lab and there's little worms, like food, on the vegetation and the bat just hovers around it and gets it. These are things that, you know, engineers cannot do. They cannot develop something like this. Okay. Another one is underwater, like dolphins that they can detect mines and they do it better than whatever robot they design. Wow. You know, if the mine is buried under the, mm -hmm. the soil in, in the water mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the, the dolphin scans and scans and finds it, you know, there's many things so we can be inspired by nature as, you know, which is, I think the, the right way to go, like to see, oh, wow, this animal can do this. How, how does it do it? And then mm -hmm. you, you know, you, Get it is ideas. incredible, and I, I don't, I mean, I don't have a biology background, but I'm out, um, I've always been interested in it, and so I'm aware that there are many, many animals that have a much greater range of hearing than humans do, and, you know, I've heard stories of when there's a, a tsunami, for instance, I don't know if that's sound waves, but, you know, animals can detect vibrations that um, humans necessarily can't, and so they can give off early warning signs. Um, uh, it, it's so you you feel like we're still sort of at the beginning of really understanding all of the depth of um, what animals are paying and mammals are paying attention to that we as humans maybe don't quite get yet. Yeah, um, I think you're all, every scientist, even like a thousand years in the future, will say that we're still at the beginning, right? Because that's right, it, right, it, there's right. always going to be something else, okay. you know, that we still don't know. Okay. There's always going to be that. No, like it I'm, never stops. So like, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going back to my high school biology a little bit when I think about the scientific method. Um, so you, you know, you start with an observation, you have an hypothesis, and then you plan an experiment see what happens, go back to your observations and decide sort of, do they align? Do they not? Um, so how often, um, when I, I'm assuming that you sort of continue to work in that direction. Um, how often are you surprised by the results? Oh, um, I actually, usually I don't care. Like I, um, you have to have, like, actually it's, interesting what you're saying because this is like a, a scientific method that is you know very anglo-saxon okay although it was uh, who's this austrian who uh, came with their life <laughs> i have I to go back name, to my like, biology teacher yeah, and, and it's an austrian philosopher like that okay. said this should be the method right that you have a hypothesis and, and then you can corroborate it uh, or you can refute it and all the statistical tests hover around that and and it's this is the big way to go in the in the Anglo-Saxon world, especially. And um, yeah, so but often I in my mind, I know that, OK, I kind of follow that path because it's like the popular path. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't really the hypothesis that I formulate, uh, 
it's not really i'm just i don't care like it could be another one and i just say okay and i just do the research and then i see if it confirms or not but i don't really have an opinion okay I'm just like neutral okay you know and okay. Okay. but i i want to explain something that in reality many people explore you know there is an exploration phase okay. where you just say i don't care about i don't have an hypothesis okay. especially now with big data you know right so you get big data about whatever so okay. uh can be microphones cameras you know that basically we're spying on each other all day long right right you get and that's right. big data right and then do you have a hypothesis on it and i think many people don't they just yeah some insurance company maybe has their own hypotheses or whatever okay but okay. you want to see what can we do with this data you explore right and 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 so that's very different from that standard philosophy okay. and, and and do you so you feel like that is really growing in terms of the approach it's more about maybe having different scenarios and then having the data that you can collect from that scenario and interpreting that data um yeah i think it's just later on that you, you see the data and then you do have hypotheses on it like maybe if uh this age group uh, so and so then whatever then you, you formulate some kind of relationship but actually sometimes you just you can just do all sorts of correlations and say hey this is a strong relationship that you find by chance okay that's so yeah okay. maybe research will change a little bit because of this because of big data mm -hmm. it will change a little bit but it's already you, you know when you know light is both a wave and a particle which hypothesis was confirmed like which hypothesis was right, right? Yeah. Both were right. So you right. already know that from the past that it's not so black and white, you right. know? Right, But right. still, it's a good... I mean, I'm not saying we're throwing it all away, right? Mm -hmm. There's still this rigorous testing with, based on statistics. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's getting broader, this this way, the approach of scientific research. Okay. Um, and I imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a big part of it too is really working in a global community of biologists, ecologists, scientists who are working on similar areas. So when you're working on a particular experiment, how much do you feel like you're part of this bigger group working towards a larger idea or concept or understanding? And how much of it is you just in the lab looking at data? Yeah, I've always, like my nearly my entire life felt that i belong more i think this is really normal nowadays that you belong to a group rather than to a country or anything okay like that you you feel like you meet other people could be koreans or i don't know and then at some point ah, this is also liberal people who are interested who are kind of you know read books or are interested in science and then you just feel a connection that's okay. what i have Okay. It doesn't like, and it's actually more interesting if they're from some country that you don't really know. Okay. So yes, I have always felt like that, and the and and many labs are international. Actually, the lab I'm in now, like there's two Chinese, there's uh, there was somebody from Serbia, there's a you know like it's who else Italian, uh, German, and and me, I'm I'm from Holland, so like it's a mixed uh, okay. yeah, and English is like everybody speaks English right and you right. learn so much you know like uh, when uh, here in Israel there were many demonstrations of course there's every, still every week mm -hmm. and uh, one Chinese friend from the lab he said what is a demonstration what, mm. like and I had to explain to him like ah in, in China this is illegal 
And then I asked him, do you want to come? You want to come to the demonstration? So he said, yes. You know, so he thought it was amazing. Okay. You know, and it was raining and people were still going on. They really believe in their ideal, you know. Right. And then at some point we went to the highway all of a sudden. We were kind of pushed onto the highway. Yeah. And he even made it to television, you know. like Wow. <laughs> he was on the Eilon Highway. <laughs> yes. That's a bold place to be. <laughs> and you bring up a really great point because, you know, the, these labs are international in terms of the research. But at the same time, they're like these little microcosms of the world where it's also about different cultures coming together and yeah. you can learn so much from each individual and yeah, where they're and, from. Um, and... near, I think all of my students are Arabs. Yeah. So, of course, and, the, and many are Druze. Mm-hmm. And some are, some are Muslim, Christian. So, of course, I asked a million questions, of course. Yeah. 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 And they often yeah. say, we don't really represent. Like, when I go back to the village, I don't really represent. Like, the others are not so liberal. They're very conservative. I have to change my clothes and everything. So, but yeah, they, they warn you that they're not representative of their culture, but still you can so, you know, learn a lot from them. And uh, I really like it. Uh, I really, it's one of my things that I learned here. That's uh, because, yeah, there's Jews and Arabs and the connection. I mean, the history of is, is not beautiful maybe, but um, this, if you want to really interact and you run the really you know, be on the same level and like interact as equals. You, I mean, I'm not saying you have to be, have confrontations all day, but you shouldn't just not, don't mention this, don't mention that. That's not what is happening here. Mm-hmm. Like in the mm-hmm. lab, they mm-hmm. discuss things. Mm-hmm. I once, I just walked past it and they were discussing abortion with, uh, you know, a guy who's a Muslim and, and their girls were like very clear on this you know that this is a right and then they were arguing and then okay i'm not saying he went home totally believing in abortion but it's it's just very important that that he heard it once and that jews hear other things Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. um yeah there's things you don't realize but that's for example that same guy he's very he's a trained guy he's uh you know he does fighting sports and so on and it he's to some people, that's intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. And then he cannot, he can only get ex- express anger in his own village. But when he's in Tel Aviv and he would shout something like so many people do from their car, right? Right. But right. then with his accent, he can't do that. It's you know, a different reception. Because yeah. people would react just because they hear the accent. Yeah. Right. So it's not yeah. the same. It's his life is not this. And you don't think about that. Yeah. You don't, and well, they tell you, right? You you hear and you, you learn, okay, what is it like for the other person, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I think that that's a beautiful thing about a university and it, it's universities everywhere, right? It, it, yeah, we and it's, really this are is these... international too because, yeah. for example, Queen's University in Belfast, mm-hmm. even in the worst troubles, you know, they called it right? in the 70s, I think, mm-hmm. um, it was, I'm not saying it's the perfect world, right? But they were working together, Protestant and Catholics, and it was, it, you know. It's, spaces of coming together. Yeah. Definitely. Like usually universities are the last vestiges of, uh, I don't know, like maybe also sports and, and uh, music or uh, I don't know. But yeah. like yeah. scientists, yeah, for sure. Like Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think of it maybe not as a vestige, but uh, a place of hope. <laughs> something, yeah. <laughs> something forward looking. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, so there's that sense of a global community in the lab itself. 
And then you were mentioning you are often working with other international researchers. So are there partnerships going on with other universities? Um, is that common, especially with the Bat Lab? Are you working with other universities too? Yeah, um, it's. I guess it depends on your lab. Uh, you know, um, and Israel is a bit. I mean, it's we to work together with Jordan, Jordanians or Lebanese, or is a bit hard here. But yeah, we had, which you know, if it were easy, then we would be doing that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but um, <clears throat> yeah, so we had cooperations with the Germans. Now there's people with um, they're cooperating in Mexico. Um, just thinking, not sure which universities are involved, but surely institute institutes in Mexico. Uh, so yeah, that's happening a lot. Um, yeah, it's yeah in Germany they have these wind tunnels which you can use for bats and birds. So that's you know there's sometimes unique. Okay. contraptions or whatever that they have over there with thailand we had a lot of like there's a university in thailand uh, where they also do bat research and we were there a lot you know okay. like yeah okay. so i i have to ask too uh how and maybe it's a large question hopefully it's not too large but um how different are bat colonies and communities around the world so when you're looking at thailand you're looking at mexico you're looking at israel are you looking uh, not to make a bad pun, but at an entirely different beast in in each situation. Um, you know, the, the numbers of species or, or like... numbers of species, the way the colonies interact with each other. Yeah, the I mean, so if you go closer to the equator, the number of species tends to grow rapidly. So in Israel, it's already because it's a little bit further south, and it's the border. You know, kind of. How do you say a geophysical border or something also for birds for many animals so many animals they have their southernmost range in lebanon and just the northern part of israel okay. it's the same for bats it's also true for many birds like the wren mm -hmm. you know the tiny bird that uh, you don't have them in tel aviv wrens okay. but you do have them in haifa okay. right so all of a sudden it's like it, you cross the border Right, you know, and it's, right. and it's a right kind there. of invisible border okay. that exists that goes through Israel, and it's the same for bats. Um, and there's, you know, even there is a tropical group of bats, Tafozoas. It's from Ambalonuridae, you know, and it's Israel. It's the northernmost range, so um, yeah, they're still in northern Israel, but I'm not sure. Lebanon, I guess, when the you know you go to the higher mountains, the um, I. We don't know, but I would be surprised that they're, I don't think they're there. Okay. And okay. Um, so, yeah, this is a tropical group of bats that's only in the equator. So generally in the equator has far more species. Okay. And Israel alone has about the same number of species as the whole of Europe. So it shows something. And then you go further south, and especially if, if there is forests and, and so on. Yeah, you get a lot more species. And uh, what's also, especially regarding bats, what's interesting is their hibernation patterns. Because classical hibernation that we learn at school, that's, from, that's a story from the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. true for Canada and I, true for the Northern United States. You they know, don't that, hibernate here well, then. Yeah, many don't. Wow, so okay. so in, in Europe, of course, what bats do is Northern Europe, right? Um, is go like so they go down to four degrees their heartbeat is very low uh, one beat uh, 
per minute. Maybe I have to, to look it up, but it's very, very low. Mm -hmm. Breathing, everything, four degrees centigrade, needs to be a humid place. Some bats just hang like that for months. Um, that's very northern. That's a very northern, but most bats of the world live in the tropics. Okay. So they don't have winter. Right. Right. So right. they don't and do therefore this. Therefore, they don't need and to hibernate. Interestingly, like, so okay. I was so stupid the first week in Indonesia when I was there. And I said, you know, where do we put the bats overnight? So in the fridge, you know, I was stupid because like, of course, like, right. but they did it because they think, yeah, the foreigner knows, right? So right. they right. put them in the fridge, Pipistrellus, but it was a different Pipistrellus javanicus from Java, from that tropical. And the next day they were fine. They just... Woke up from torpor from the fridge okay. because it's the same genus as in Europe. So apparently okay. uh, by accident, you know, we learned something. Oh, they didn't die, you know, because apparently this genus, even wow. though they never experienced that, that it's no problem. The tor torpor can deal with this. Okay. Interesting, right? Well, it, it um, makes me wonder if when it comes to climate change, if they'll be one of the better adapters. Yeah, many, many families will not. Like many tropical okay. bats for sure. Like they cannot, like, and now we know this. Also through Israeli researchers mm -hmm. from Tel Aviv University, by the way, they uh, found out that um, there are groups of bats that are like find their northern range here. Mm -hmm. And they have a completely different way of going. They can't really go lower than 17, 18 degrees centigrade, their body temperature. And um, if they, if you do that, they would start to warm up just like humans, right? If, okay. if you If you go to into a fridge... Okay. You will try to, you will maintain 37 centigrade, right? You'll right. Right. and spend all your energy. That's what they, these bats do as well. They keep on spending energy on, in that to keep it to 17 degrees. But so their normal pattern is that um, ambient temperature doesn't really drop so much lower. And, and, and it's a different way of being in, in, in hibernation. Okay. So it's a whole different system. Okay. And um, yeah, those bats couldn't live in in extreme cold climates. Okay. Yeah, and med and there are different strategies, right? Some bats that in Europe go into hibernation. In Israel, they just hunt all year round. Okay. They just okay. you know, and then okay, they hunt maybe for only two hours or one hour in the evening, and then go back and then go into torpidity. But they have. Different, so it's it's much more flexible. Right. So actually, the standard, like what most bats do, is not what you learn at school. That's interesting, and there is a lot like we don't really know because most researchers are in the northern hemisphere. Okay. Right. So okay. this okay. is what like, and then you need to, but it's gonna happen. Okay. A friend of mine just got a position, and she's really into this. Okay. I'm sure she will now. So find we're out finding out more and more about bats in the the southern hemisphere <laughs> yeah. then. Um, we're just about out of time, so okay. I want to thank you very, very much for being here today, and I, I look forward to watching out for your future research. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye.